Hi, everyone. This is Luke with Bloomsbury Radio. Um, I'm very excited today for, for a couple of reasons. Um, the first being that this is my very first interview. So if you, if you catch me slipping up at all, that, that's the reason why. Um, but secondly, and more importantly, I am joined by the fabulous Elizabeth Gunawan, um, who makes up one half of the artistic duo Saxi Bisou with Jack Paris. And they'll be performing their work for Bloomsbury Festival named The Promised Land on Wednesday, the 20th of October, 7.30 till 8.10 p.m. at Holy Cross Church on Cromer Street. So thank you very much for joining me. Um, to get us started here, I'm going to jump straight in with, um, for those that are new to your work, could you kind of briefly describe your style and maybe your approach to art as well? Of course. Hello, Luke. I'm so honored to be your first interview. <laughs> and thank honored you, thank to be you. back in Bloomsbury Radio last year. They um, they showed our first work, Stamping in the Graveyard. It was our first album of poetry. So, yeah, it's really good to be here. Um, it, it's funny because, um, so Saxi Bizu um, was a, a, a collective that we started and uh, the, the word means silent witness, uh, but also bizu means kiss. And I think a lot of what our work deals with is the, the subconscious and the dream logic, the sense of being in a dream and being a fly on the wall, but also this notion of sort of kissing the audience with our work, creating an encounter that is irresistible to their imagination, that just seduces them into going on this journey with us. Um, if, if you ask me my my approach to art, um, I, I have to say that it, it comes from my personal experience. Um, I felt like growing up, I was always split into two worlds. Um, I'm Chinese Indonesian, so I was born Chinese Indonesian in Jakarta in Indonesia, and I was raised there for the first 18 years, uh, which um, most people don't know when they first meet me. Um, and that means that I come from, you know, walking around here in London today, like I come from a whole different world with different smells, different behavior, different beliefs, different, completely different language, you know. Um, and I think a lot of other people who speak another language know this, that um, when you speak a language, it's like a window to the world. And I feel very much split and traversing two different worlds. Because even though I grew up in Jakarta, I uh, was uh, I was like many people of my generation raised by the television and I watched a lot of Cartoon Network and I watched a lot of MTV and I've had an American accent since I was six or seven because I watched these cartoons and so I very much I lived in one world that was my reality and one world that was in my imagination and I lived in one world where there were a lot of limitations and constrictions as one does when you're a child when you're a teenager and one where I was completely free in my imagination of course later on I, I moved to the US and then uh, to Singapore to and now to the UK I'm a four-time migrant <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that of course the um, you know the the New York and LA and and London that I saw on TV is, has nothing in common with with what's in the real world it was simply it was the world of my imagination and I think um, my work surrounds this central belief that I have that in a world with where we are bound by so many things, where we are um, we are so constricted, our imagination sets us free. 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Being Having all these different experiences in all the different countries and cities of the world that have very different um, kind of ideologies about the way of life and going about their way. And as you say, speaking multiple languages where different things might be di- like construed differently. Do you think that's helped you kind of gain inspiration from the different cultures to then put back into your art? Um, yeah, just in the sense that um, my experiences are are authentically my own um and i and also i believe that about everyone and actually um recently part of my work as a theater maker and as a writer is i've been trying to create a set of tools and methods for makers of stories um and i was uh, very generously supported by the arts council and i got uh, a grant that they give to creative practitioners called the developing your creative practice grant and um, that, that's what I hope to empower people to do, is to basically look at themselves and their own stories. Um, first of all, encountering it nakedly and then going, okay, how do I tell this story? Because those stories will, the, the moment you resonate against yourself, you will resonate with others. And I think what I realized was in my work, there are all of these images that are uh, for me, unexpected and perhaps unexpected in the cultural canon, but that are so that are so vivid and so resonant for everyone. For example, um, a really big image in Promised Land um, that we're working with is this idea of being on an airplane. This idea of consistently being on an airplane. Why are you on an airplane? It's because there, there's you're coming from a place that has been destroyed and you need to go somewhere else. Where are you going? Um, so these kinds of images that that we all know how that feels, even if we we don't know how to make sense of it literally narratively, and it's being able to allow ourselves to be intensely original in ways we don't expect. The the idea of almost a collective experience where everyone can relate to each other in some way or another, like a, a lot of the human experience is shared, and a large mm. part of that is is that metaphor of life is a journey in a way. And mm-hmm. ha- having that represented, as you say, kind of as the with the the imagery of an airplane, and you're going from somewhere that wasn't so great to kind of the next stage of your life is is a really good thing to represent. I think. Uh, j- just one last thing I wanted to add about about the story, mm. um, and I think as a collective, this is how I'm uh, hoping to work with story in a different way. Because I think stories are incredibly powerful because they pull us in, they seduce us in, they make us go on a journey, they make us empathize without perhaps consciously realizing it. And the way that I'm hoping to approach story is in terms of um, looking at its resonance with our collective subconscious. And a lot of that is actually working with even a lot of the symbols and images you usually see in your dreams. You know, people have dreams about being on a train or being on an airplane. Um... Uh, all the time. Um, I also am so interested in stories that the moment you say it in one or two sentences, it will create, um, it will it, it will basically open up um, completely different stories to be interpreted in the audience's mind. And that's the way all of our pieces are. For example, Stamping in the Graveyard is all about the world has ended. And the last thing that remains is one microphone in the last theater on earth. What kind of theater is it? What is it like? And it opens up all of these questions and all of these possibilities for the audience. For our second album that we're going to hear today, Darling, the story is about two souls um, that began 
her first form was as a canary and his first form was as a boy in a coal mine and he frees her from his cage and their soul becomes intertwined across different lifetimes. Everybody understands that even if they don't believe it. And so it's opening up that possibility for interpretation and for you to have a story that is completely yours. Actually, it's not mine anymore. It's yours now. It belongs to your imagination. So uh, a bit more about you and uh, the partnership you've had. Um, how did you meet Jack? And what was it that, that clicked between you two that said, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe we should make something together, you know? So um, Jack and I met when uh, both of us did the same master's program. We both went to RADA. Um, we were in the MA Theatre Lab. Um, so we, we were very much here in the heart of Bloomsbury. And Jack and I are actors, but I'm, I also write poetry and he also writes music. When the first lockdown happened, we were grappling with the fact that um, we were both makers of theater in a world with no theater. Um, and it felt very impotent. <laughs> and then of course, uh, at some point we realized that, um, no, the theater is not dead because what we can still do is we can still awaken people's imagination. And that's what actually led us to this, this first provocation for our first piece, which is the last theater on earth is in your imagination. And so we created a piece that was entirely sound that was meant to be consumed with your eyes closed and uh, the idea was that you could take uh, take a journey in your mind's eye. Yeah, that's when I was researching for for this interview. I was I was looking at how you you ask people to have a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil nearby during that experience, just just in case the inspiration or creativity finally kind of struck while they were, they were experiencing this. <laughs> and I, I thought that was absolutely fascinating because so so much of art, particularly audio art. Um, Kind of you need to experience it and take away what you want from it but then often it's kind of just immediately forgotten about and mm -hmm. it's not particularly meant to to go on and then and kind of create more art from the people that listen to it whereas you've kind of tackled that straight away and said actually this is meant to inspire imagination and creativity mm -hmm. if it happens straight away use it take it it's it for me it's one of the most wonderful things about how we we experience the world is how much creativity and imagination we do have so it's great seeing it um being used straight away and also actually um when we do our first live performance of promised land mm. in holy cross church we also intend to to provide people with a piece of paper and and a pen or pencil and i even thought of the idea of because Promised Land is poetry, but it's also going to be a lot of music. And it's it's almost like a ritual, actually. And a, a part of me wants to invite people to sing and dance with us in that moment. And they might be singing in their hearts. Um, and they might be dancing just with their hands. Think about, you know, <laughs> that when someone draws or writes, it's like a small dance just with your fingers and your hands. And it's it's inviting that. It's inviting them to join their celebration um and to lean in um and also yeah that we, we don't have to you know we live in a world where a lot of the times i think we have to think the same things and see things the same way and we don't have to do that at all actually we can have completely different images of what happened to us and it's it's acknowledging that for everyone everyone has their own truth in that way yeah it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of that performance um kind of all the discussions afterwards between the audience and all the things that are written down maybe um it, it would be really wonderful to see just what's produced um as the outcome really yeah 
Yeah, and um, an another big part um, of the ritual that we'll do is also the idea of letters. And going back to the way that we think about story, letters are extremely potent things in any culture, for any person of any generation, you know, that uh, a letter is a very special thing. Um, you know, we're doing it in the sight of a church. And actually, I think there are a lot of, there's a lot of imagery in our work that is very biblical. So it, and so it feels very appropriate, but there are people who talk about the Bible as a, as a love letter from, from, from maybe another generation or from God or from these prophets. And so, yeah, I think that's also incredibly interesting for me. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the idea is romanticized quite a lot nowadays, um, the idea of love letters and things like that, because you don't really get it very much anymore with the online experience. But you know, <laughs> like writing, writing letters to a loved one can almost feel like poetry or storytelling about what's gone in, gone in your life, because you, you can take the time to sit down and kind of carefully craft the way that you're telling it. Um, it's, it's a really interesting medium to kind of come back to after as I say we've kind of departed to this more online world mm -hmm. I agree we should do it more hundred <laughs> <laughs> yes, percent agree a lot of our communication today is extremely immediate extremely yeah. urgent and extremely current whereas when you write a letter time seems to stop and you write that letter so it's almost I, I remember actually I've um I've been in a, um, a long distance relationship before where I wrote a letter and I had a, you know, because of the, the, the tumultuousness of, of course, my teenage relationships, I, I had this fear that by the time the letter arrived that we wouldn't be in love anymore. Also, I think I was writing it from Indonesia. So the post is horrible. <laughs> I yeah. Now that I think of it, but isn't that, isn't that such a, such an incredible thing that you seal a letter in and it seems to seal that moment in time when time seemed to stop and you put your thoughts and your, your emotions onto onto page it's like a piece of a piece of eternity and and it, it's yeah it's incredibly beautiful it's incredibly important in this time yeah absolutely yeah it's it's, it's definitely nice to capture it and then you'll be able to keep that material forever um whereas you know like messaging just feels like you send it off to the ether and that's it you never see it again type of thing obviously you can go back and look at look at it and the cloud or where, wherever it's kept but it's nice having the physical thing in front of you where that moment is captured <laughs> um let's talk a little bit more about stamping so to to give context for those that aren't familiar stamping was the the first one released last year and then this year we're going to have um, um, Darling released as well, which will be a similar mm -hmm. uh, kind of audio album experience. And then The Promised Land is going to be a mixture of both of them. That's correct? Yes. When Jack and I first came together, uh, it was clear that um, I had a f several, several pieces of poetry um, and he created the music to them. And the first impetus, um, as, as I was talking about, was... This, this idea that we could still come together in a theater in our imagination. It was about finding that connection and it was about finding that freedom, actually. And so we, we had this idea of that the world had ended. And actually, um, that's, that's where we're headed as mankind. Yeah. And also that, that was very much how it felt last year, right? It felt like the world had ended and that the last thing that remained was a microphone in the last theater on earth that was uh, singing about the, the grief 
and the shame and the pride that we have about all of the things we've created and destroyed as mankind, which we all understand. And of course, we we did we did um, come out of that. We're in a different time now. And then the second emphasis I had was actually with regards to all of these love letters that I had written over the years, which were mostly poems. And most of them I'd written um, to my own loneliness in some ways or another. And others I had written to people I'd fallen in love with. And then all of them together became our second piece, Darling, because that's how the love letters always start. It starts with Darling. And uh, the, the story ca came to my mind about um, a boy in a coal mine and a canary in a, the same coal mine. Both um, are, are, are beings in such a state of imprisonment and that he chooses to set her free. And that bound by that, the gratitude from the event that happened, their soul becomes intertwined. And that's actually a myth that is quite, um, it's a, a it's an archetypical myth in a lot of um, Chinese stories about um, two souls being bound by their karma and they keep meeting each other actually, because there, there keeps being an attempt to almost like repay this good karma. Um, and I think that um, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, in today's globalized world, there is very much that sense of um, meeting meeting a kindred spirit. We all understand that within the vastness and the strangeness of this world. And then we realized that the two stories were connected. And then Promised Land became a connection of those two things. It starts with the two souls that keep meeting and meeting and meeting and learning and learning, learning from each other. And their final form is as a couple a mother and a father. Um, I mean, it's cheeky for me to say that because the idea is that they're a barren couple and they can't have a child of flesh and blood. And so instead they create a piece of artificial intelligence. The last thing that remains when the world ends. And there's just one lonely voice, which is the voice of their daughter that's created by them. Um, and so this the story for me um, is, I, I also find that stories we create are often to be discovered. And actually, as we create Promised Land, we're still discovering all of the different layers and questions that we're asking with this piece. But a large part of it is actually the shame, the grief that we all share as a humankind, especially with regards to the fact that we're incredibly powerful and we've used a lot of that power to create, but also to destroy. Um, and, that we're, and that with the way that the world is, we are... A perpetually always going to be subjugating other people or nature and how do we how do we actually stop how do we reckon with that how do we reckon with that paradox and how do we reckon with our own our own humanity uh, in a lot of ways how can we witness each other's grief about that and overcome that as well yes um i i was lucky enough with my my press privileges to hear um a draft of darling and one of the things that struck me was that that sense of isolation and loneliness and the odd comfort and also unease of the idea of soulmates as well. Um, mm -hmm. But between these discussions that, as you say, are kind of told through the, um, the medium of letters, um, there are these exchanges, um, kind of a more grounded conversation where you say these questions are being asked. Um, just slightly more directly. Um, 
and you, they kind of ask about the idea of reincarnation and soulmates and things like that. How do you personally feel about these topics? Because, of course, you've represented them in your art, but sometimes <laughs> that doesn't fully represent your own opinion, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so in Darling, which I guess uh, the, the listeners of Bloomsbury Radio will, will hear eventually, mm. um, they're, they're comprised of poems, but they're also comprised of, well, you got it, interviews. There were actually interviews we conducted with people, uh, people who are uh, much older, talking about uh, loneliness and about the, the small moments of transcendence you find in, in love. What do I believe? <laughs> well, I believe, um, actually, unfortunately, that we are ultimately alone in our bodies, that our bodies are the the limits of our experience and so in this way we are born alone and we die alone um i don't know if i if i believe in a reincarnation and soulmates but i i think of it as a really useful way of thinking about reality if that makes sense in the sense that when we die we don't disappear when we die we get put in a coffin and over hundreds and hundreds of years that all disintegrates and creates other things and I believe that we are we are all connected, um, in 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 literal ways because we all live in the same world and because our our atoms are resonating against each other. Um, and also, I believe that uh, going back to to what I said about reincarnation, I, I don't I definitely don't believe in soulmates. Actually, now that I think of it, I believe in I I think of reincarnation and re meeting people from past lives as a really useful way of making meaning um, of the senselessness of this world. And that it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting story to tell ourselves <laughs> because that's what we're always doing. We're always creating stories and telling stories to ourselves to, um, to amuse ourselves more than anything else for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, one of my favorite things that I kind of stumbled across um, a few years ago that, that changed my outlook on, going out and do things particularly through my teens i really struggled in mm -hmm. finding motivation to just go out and do things mm -hmm. i'd much rather kind of stay inside or it's comfortable and the the idea that um even a bad experience is a story that you can then go and tell later is yeah. kind of made it a lot easier for me because i knew part of that was a complete lack of social skills um and having those stories backed up means that you can you can talk to different people and chances are the person you're talking to will have a similar story that that they can relate through as well and you can kind of go back and forth in this dialogue about your your stories and experiences and i guess just a really nice thing about the the way we experience life is how we collect those experiences and stories like you said before well being a teenager is a very scary being an adolescent <laughs> is a very scary thing <laughs> to be fair but but um on on that you know you 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 realized it quite early on as you were growing up but um i i i also believe i also believe personally that that's the way that you live life that that you can't just keep running away from the things that make you feel uncomfortable and inadequate and all of the things that make you feel these really scary feelings because if if that's how you live your life you your life will be incredibly limited and actually i feel like it creates a lot of destructive and oppressive behaviors and all the more dangerous when someone lives life that way and they happen to be donald trump 
<laughs> yeah. And, and, and you're pu putting such incredible limits on your empathy and, and on the insights that you take in. And so I genuinely believe that this small thing of going, actually, I will accept anything and everything in my life, including its limits, it, I actually genuinely believe it has the power to to change the world. It'll change the way we we do things. And also this is where art becomes really important because I'm I'm I maybe I call them love letters, but actually every poem that anyone's ever written is to kind of it's like a small letter that goes, I've been there too. And that these things we talked about, we, we've talked about like solitude and loneliness, among others, is a place we all go. And in some ways, it's the same landscape, even though when we do go there, we go there alone. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I'm in complete agreement with you there. It's the, the, the world does feel very lonely, particularly with, with COVID in the past few years where, or past year, year or so, um, where we all have had to isolate to an extent. And we really were faced with that isolation and loneliness face on i think we're very good at distracting ourselves with work and things like that but when actually you won't be able to see your, your family and friends for however long um it was something we we're all faced with particularly and actually i want to approach how covid affected you how how was it that obviously you were a, a theater person um as was jack and it affected both of you quite significantly as you mentioned earlier but how are you able to transfer over onto like the online world and create these pieces during during the um the lockdowns? <laughs> um, I, I I can only speak from a a, a personal perspective um, <laughs> because it I mean it it was a a very scary experience as everybody knows people people lost their loved ones. Um, I lost a few people in my extended family. Um, I was in London at the time when it first happened. And my entire family is in Indonesia. And I had a really big choice at the time whether I wanted to stay in London or whether I would go home. And I had a feeling that's, you know, I don't know if it was true or not, but I had a feeling that if I left, I'd never come back. And... Um, at the time, I was really struggling with my master's, the one that I was doing with Jack at Rada. And I was actually um, almost at a point where I wanted to decide that perhaps I wanted to leave because I felt that there was a finite amount of sort of uh, uh, joy and, um, and abandon and, and um, energy that I was losing more than I was gaining at the time. And th that's really not on anybody other than myself, really. It was just my personal experience. And when all this happened, I realized actually how much I wanted to stay and see things through. And for, for whatever reason, it actually completely renewed, or perhaps gave birth for the first time, this impulse to make work, um, this acknowledgement. I mean, oh, I, I feel like we're now finally past the what if, because there's no what if. We... we, we our, our world has been so changed by what happened that I just feel, again, as an artist, I have to completely take in all of the ways in which the world is changing um, and try to work through it and try to ask questions and be curious and try to help other people do the same. Um, and so actually, um, whether for bad or for worse, uh, I, well, I, I try to make the best of, of, of all the lemons. And during the lockdown, I actually... 
uh, created two pieces of work that I'm still working on now that that is really starting to to get really exciting. We gave birth in a way to Stamping in the Graveyard, which now is continuing to develop. And I also created a, a solo show that was shown in Bloomsbury Festival last year called Unforgettable Girl. And so for me, the uh, COVID was also I felt like my my moment of birth as an artist in a strange in a strange sort of synchronicity. Um, and. I think actually making work at a time of COVID made me realize the importance also of working alone as much as it is important for working together. Because at least for me and the way that I make work, it is about being able to peel your skin back and look at what's underneath. It's about first having a naked encounter with yourself before you can have that with your collaborator or with your audience. Metaphorically, not necessarily literally, depending on what you're making. Um, if you're not John Faber, probably metaphorically. Um, so so I think there's, there's something for me incredibly liberating about giving both myself and Jack that space to work alone. That, that moment of reflection was so universal for i think pretty much everyone across the world um aside from a very very small percentage that did a little bit better maybe um but yeah because they escaped to their island in the bahamas or something precisely yes <laughs> uh, that's a topic for another day maybe but um i i was i was reading something recently um about um a different artist's approach to work and they were talking about how um they had to move over to a film setting for um, that kind of represented they, the way that they wrote. Um, they was kind of recording the, the way that they wrote and presenting it as a film. And uh, she found it really difficult to do that because um, writing and creating for her was a very um, kind of isolated experience. She liked to be completely on her own and kind of sitting at a desk on a laptop or with a book out in front of her and just working away. And then suddenly having this full, full like film crew sitting around watching even her pretending to work was um such a big change for her and um really kind of eye-opening and almost scary it, it kind of opened my eyes and reminded me to me like actually if i was going to create something would i like to be alone or with people and i think i fall into the same camp of actually i like to be out in the world and experiencing things and having all of these wonderful experiences and meeting people and gaining that inspiration but when it comes down to creating things I would like to be in a room on my own and just kind of let the imagination and creativity flow out of me into the page or, or whatever it is that I'm working on. Um, so did you find that to be the case for yourself as well? Absolutely. I mean, there's an appropriate time to be with others and to be alone. You know what I find interesting, though? I find that when a piece or a story is born, often you are alone, at least personally for me. The idea comes to you often when you are in a place of solitude. Actually, I, I was listening to a really interesting guy the other day. I uh, forget his name, but he writes... Um, oh, he wrote a book called The Art of Solitude, and he talks about the difference between solitude and loneliness. Because loneliness is a state, solitude is the art of making it a place of um, taking pleasure in, in one's own loneliness or finding the richness of it. And so for me, a lot of stories and a lot of my art was born in a place of solitude in a, and in a place of realization and in a place of going, oh, that's interesting. 
that's curious. And I think actually other people might find that curious too. And now as the story is created and, and you're trying to make it so that it's, it's a piece of art that can be expressed and that is mass, you know, not masterful, but that you use craft in order to do that. You have to meet with your collaborators and you have to, and, and you have to bring all of your different um, ideas to the table and create it together. But eventually when it does meet an audience, when it does meet an audience, um, there, there is that same sense of solitude as in the very beginning in a strange way. Because I, I realized this recently performing my solo show, an audience, especially in large numbers, is like the voice of God. They um, always tell the truth. <laughs> They're really, really smart. That's why when you have an audience in large numbers, that's how you test whether something is going to be funny. And generally, if um, people always laugh at the, 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 the same points in time. And so there's this strange feeling of being alone, just you and God. And it's interesting because they are probably, when someone goes to a piece of theater, they probably feel similarly. I feel that way. It feels like it's just me and the story, like God telling the story. Uh, and isn't that in intensely interesting um, that, yeah, I mean, our lives are rich because we have experiences with others and alone. Yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely fascinating for me because the, the like, as you say, you kind of take in the isolation of creating the piece. And then there is that incredible vulnerability of then sharing it with other people. But I think it's interesting to look at it the other way as well, where the audience is also becoming vulnerable and having that isolation themselves as they take in the story and then once it's all over then that kind of all goes away and they can share their own experiences um with each other and you kind of create this larger story where it's like oh yeah i didn't think about thinking it that way and then you consider it yourself again um almost in isolation and you're like actually yes that fits together with my own story and it kind of creates this even larger story um mm -hmm. and yeah I, I think that's absolutely fascinating so is, will this be your first live performance back um, after all of the COVID um, situation, or is it, um, or have you managed to like squeeze one in beforehand? No, um, so a, a little bit of, about me. Um, I, I've been an actor and performer for about six or seven years, but I've never done it full time until I came back to do my master's, which was in um, early 2019. And um, starting from then and until now. So I've been out of school for about six or seven months now. Sorry, um, nine or ten months now. It's October. Damn. Um, but um, I I have lived in London longer in lockdown than not, and I have been working. Uh, I've been consistently making and performing theater actually ever since from the lockdown began, whether in person or not. You know, even last year, kind of when there was a sort of lessening of the lockdown, we got to perform, albeit to a smaller group of people. I've been lucky to be part of different um, rehearsals and devising processes of, of different pieces. Uh, I performed in a few festivals over the summer. And so, I mean, all that to say, um, I, you know, I hope it doesn't uh, come across, uh, what's the word for uh, arrogant or anything. That's not my intention. My intention is to say that people are making things you know like the, the, in spite of all of these things that are happening we are trying to safely and and because we want to do it so much we we really want to make work and we really want to perform um and we would sacrifice a lot of things to be able to do that so 
Um, so yeah, the theater is not dead. People are still making it. People are still performing it. They have been. Uh, and now we can do it maybe more fully and in conditions that are more similar to before all this happened. But yeah, we're here, you know. Yeah, fantastic. Does that mean you were able to work with Jack um, in person as you created your pieces? We made it remotely, actually, the first time around. And uh, no, actually, most of it. Yeah, because Jack lives in Brighton. And um, because it's, it's incredibly efficient <laughs> to make things. And also because I think both of us need a lot of that space alone. He works on his music alone. I work on my poems alone. Um, but of course, we rehearsed together to do this piece, uh, Promised Land. And we've done that. And actually, something that's new is there's also a lot of singing together, which is an incredibly intimate act with each other but also with the audience and so that's something we're really really excited to share with people yes yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun like you said earlier that if, if people feel like singing and dancing um that they can that there should be space for that in the venue that you you might be able to share that together for possible well, the first time for um this particular project mm -hmm. um I'm, I'm very excited to see that i'm hoping that i'll be able to get a ticket and come along um, you mentioned earlier that um, Darling and Stamping in the in the graveyard, you realized they were kind of linked um, as you were working on them. Was there like any intention of them going together originally or is that kind of a, a later point? I think that there was a sense of um, discovering a genre <laughs> that really worked for us in a way, which was um, a spoken word, but... but um, perhaps a little bit different from what's usually expected of a spoken word genre. Um, Jack is an incredibly talented composer and, and performer. And so there, there, and also we were excited by the way that people consumed it because of the way that we, that we set up the experience. I mean, we received just incredibly rich responses from our first audiences from Stamping in the Graveyard. Um, people just shared the most beautiful things. Um, somebody said that they experienced an, an unplanned spark of creative genius. <laughs> and, and that's not from us, right? That's from them. They, they pulled that out of themselves. Uh, another person who is a migrant, um, so his family, I think, had moved from El Salvador to America. And he talked about... I became aware of the two people inside me. Very similar, actually, to what I've experienced. He said, I became really aware of the two people inside me and who I would have become and who I had become and who I would have been nevertheless. And it was just so, so beautiful to, to hear all of these ways in which people responded to it. And so, and so we wanted to continue on that on that journey but again this is the interesting thing about the art we make is is that so much of it is discovered and not created because i felt very much like that link was discovered i mean i even feel sometimes i've discovered my poems um i, I said this to cal last year when we were first talking about stamping in the graveyard but i felt as if i didn't write them and actually, a lot of the times, I feel like I don't have any human children, um, never given birth to a child, but I almost feel like my poems are like children in the sense that they are in intensely mysterious to me. I just felt like 
I feel it gestating inside me. And usually after nine months, sometimes longer, like an elephant, it comes out of me and it walks away and it touches people in ways I will never understand and it will cease to belong to me. Yeah, I think that that is one of the wonderful things about art is the way that it creates a world of its own. And as much as you've created a world almost purposefully within within these pieces, it's going to create completely individual worlds for every person that listens or kind of sees it at the, the live performance. Yes. Um, and, and all of the ways in which it is understood and misunderstood is interesting. <laughs> yeah, the misunderstood is almost more interesting sometimes yeah. just to see like, how where did that come from? <laughs> how have you managed to get that out of there? But because you almost can't misunderstand it because it's completely your own experience. It's yeah. becoming a whole new piece. While it might not be the piece that you intended, it's it's still a piece of art. You know? Exactly. Um, without like spoiling too much for us, um, is there a particular like take home message from the performance that if, if, if it's anything that you do want to, you did intend for people to take away, what could you, what could you say to our listeners that they should potentially take away from your performance? Mm. And this is a, a phrase that we say in, in one of the, the poems in Stamping the Graveyard in Exodus. Um, me too. Um, aha, actually, maybe I'll share the, the, the whole phrase. It's, um, I hope these letters will reach you in the address of your own loneliness. I'm saying me too. Um, it's that we are all in some ways in grief and grief needs a witness and we will witness each other's grief. Uh, and we will move through it. I think that's that's all. Yeah, it's it's very touching. Um, I think we we might have um, some people bringing out the tissues uh, at the performance. We'll we'll see how we we see how it turns out. Um, is there anything else that any future projects um, coming up that you'd like to plug before we before we wrap this up? Um, anything other people should come check out after the performance, of course. Thank you. Um, um, there's a few things gestating uh, for Darling um, that I've got my fingers crossed for, but uh, nothing definite, but I hope to be able to share more exciting news soon. But uh, I was going to say that the best way to follow my work is through my Instagram account, which is at Elisabetigun, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-T-Y-G-U-N. <laughs> and Jax is at Jack Paris. Uh, so that's with two R's. Um, and so I'd love if people can keep um, following their local artists. I am doing a solo show, something very, very different from Stamping in the Graveyard, called Unforgettable Girl as part of Voila Festival at the Cockpit Theatre in Marlebone, so just down the road from Bloomsbury, on 20 to 21 November. Uh, so that's this fall. So if you if you go to my Instagram account, you'll find that as well. Uh, Unforgettable Girl is a solo show that also was created out of my time at RADA and out of the last year's lockdown and out of last year's Bloomsbury Festival. And it's a piece of Buffon, a dark comedy about a Thai, Indonesian, Filipino, ugh, it's all the same anyway, male order bride. Um, it's really, really funny. And it's, it's, it's really, um, it'll also be very thought provoking. So uh, maybe check us out there. And thank you, Luke, for for giving the last 40 or 50 minutes of your time to 
to discuss our work with us and to share it with other people. I mean, it's incredibly generous because your attention is your intention is valuable. So the fact that you've given it to us is really valuable. Thank you. Uh, it's not a problem. This this has been such a joy to do with you. Um, so, of course, any responses to the the performances we have going on, send it to either of those Instagrams or even to Bloomsbury, and we'll we'll yes. try and find a platform. So. Just a reminder for everyone: the the Promised Land event is on the uh, is on Wednesday, the twentieth of October, seven thirty to eight ten p.m. at Holy Cross Church on Chrome Street. Um, tickets are eight pounds, or the discounted price of six pounds for students and the unemployed or anyone with a disability. And carers can go free as well. Um, for more information on the event, go to bloomsburyfestival.org.uk. You'll be able to find. All the other events there and some uh, written interviews as well uh, there's all kinds of stuff on there so go check that out and of course go check out both of these artists instagrams and all their future projects in the future um thank you so much for listening uh thank you so much for this interview as well um and i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day